BRCA gene mutations, not just about women. You're listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and joining me is Dr. Mary Daly, Senior Vice President for Population Science at the Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Dr. Daly is an oncologist as well as a Ph.D. epidemiologist and is director of the Cancer Prevention and Control Program at the Fox Chase Cancer Center. Today we're going to be talking about BRCA gene mutations and what the implications are for men's health. Dr. Daly, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Before we get into this issue of mutations and and, uh, men's health implications, could you tell us a little bit about your own medical background and how you got interested in uh, this particular area? Yeah, I got interested a long time ago in, in a sort of roundabout way by spending three years teaching in Africa where I learned the importance of public health. And that led me to pursue a PhD in public health in the field of epidemiology, which is all about learning about risks for various diseases and understanding their causes. Subsequently, I went on into medicine and chose medical oncology as my field and more specifically breast cancer and was able to apply some of those lessons of epidemiology of searching for causes and risk factors and apply that not only to how best to treat breast cancer but perhaps even more importantly how to prevent it. And this sort of came along at the same time as we were learning more and more about the genetics of cancers in general and of all diseases actually and it gave us some really new insights into how to understand risk for cancer. And sure enough, along came BRCA1 and 2 genes in the mid-90s to really help us understand some of these families which have just multiple cases of breast and ovarian cancer. We've been able to incorporate that into prevention models of how to not only understand where breast cancer is coming from, what's causing it, but then how we can deal with the risk that individual family members have and how they can minimize those risks. And so you've spent, it looks like, the recent part of your career involved in the issues of counseling and risk assessment and uh, transmission of information through families. And it looks like, as of late, there's a new wrinkle on the BRCA question, that is uh, implications for men's health. I, I think many of us have lived through the last decade un- finally understanding what the implications are for ovarian and breast cancer. But I understand there are some new findings, especially with respect to men's cancers. Can you share a little bit of that with us? The BRCA1 and 2 genes were first identified in families that had been under study for many years because of high rates of breast and ovarian cancer in women. And it took us, once these genes were identified, probably another 10 years to collect a lot of these families where we could identify a mutation and then explore what other cancers were going on in that family to really be be able to conclude that, yes, there is female breast and ovarian cancer at higher rates than average, but in addition... Men with a mutation in BRCA1 or 2 are at increased risk for male breast cancer, which is very rare in the population. And we're also seeing somewhat increased rates of male prostate cancer, melanoma, and pancreatic cancer in both men and women. So we've expanded the scope of the cancers that we think are actually being caused by these mutations. Now, has the evidence for those risks risen to the point where you now are in a position to counsel men about their risks? We definitely can counsel men about their risks. There are 
some recommendations for them. For instance, most men wouldn't dream of thinking they're at risk for breast cancer. But in men with BRCA2 particularly mutations, they may have a risk as high as 6%, which is very high for a man. And they need to be aware that if they have any physical changes or findings, that they need to be evaluated immediately. They need to be informed about the need for prostate cancer screening, for skin screening if they have any tendency for forming moles. We're grappling with pancreatic cancer. No one quite knows how to handle that because there's no good screening for it. But there's one other thing, too, that, that men need to know is not only do they have some health consequences, but they, if they have a mutation, can pass it on to their children. It doesn't just pass through the female line. So there are implications for taking this information home and uh, talking to families about it. It's not just about women talking to women anymore. Right. Would you say that our peer physicians understand the fact that the BRCA gene mutations have implications for men's health? Do we need to do some more educating about that? I think we definitely do. In fact, some physicians still don't realize that these autosomal type of mutations can be transmitted through both maternal and paternal lineages. And they, we've had women come in and say they were told not to worry about the fact that their father's sister had breast and ovarian cancer because it can't come through the father. So there's a lot of education, I think, that needs to go on. And I think this kind of program that you're doing is one way to, to get the information out there to practitioners. You've written about prophylactic surgery in women, oophorectomy, mastectomy. Do you think there will be equivalent recommendations down the road for men? I doubt it because, one, the cancers are not nearly as common. We take drastic measures with women because they have up to an 85% chance of getting breast cancer and up to a 40% chance of getting ovarian cancer. There's no good screening for ovarian cancer, and there's no other way really to adequately reduce their risk I think in the male cancers, though, we're going to rely more on screening rather than prophylactic surgeries because their risks are considerably lower. It's not warranted to go to those kinds of drastic means. I would like to find, even for women, a way to avoid those kinds of surgeries. Of course. If you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mary Daly, and we're talking about BRCA gene mutations and implications for both men and women's health. Mary, are there other biomarkers, other gene mutations that you and your staff consider when, when counseling people that we ought to know about, or is there research going on in that area? Yeah, there are some families who look like they should be positive for a BRCA1 or 2 mutation, and you test everybody who's affected or anybody who thinks at risk and you come up negative and you say, what's going on here? There's a couple of possibilities. We still don't think we've identified all the mutations on BRCA1 and 2. So our test is probably not 100% sensitive. And we're constantly working to make it better. But there are other genes. They're not as common as BRCA1 or 2, but there are other genes, that major genes, that significantly increase risk for breast and ovarian cancer. We can do clinical genetic testing for some of them. Some of them are still in the research phase. And then the other thing we see is a woman may come to us because her mother had breast cancer, let's say at age 48, but when we complete the family history, we see, well, yes, that's true, but look at all the colon cancer on her father's side. There are similar genes that predispose individuals to colon cancers. These are called the HNPCC or Lynch syndrome genes, and that may be 
the gene family you want to test in this individual first because the breast cancer is not nearly as significant as all the colon cancer. So the BRCA is not related to the colon cancer. No. And the genes that may have some implication with colon cancer don't necessarily cause the breast cancer. Right. But we have families now that look like they could be carrying both of those genes because there's a lot of breast cancer and a lot of colon cancer. And then there, there are some overlaps. For instance, ovarian cancer is also seen in the colon cancer gene family and in the BRCA1 and 2. So this is why you really need these trained genetic counselors who can look at the family tree and say, wait a minute, I think we ought to consider this, this, and this as a possibility. Yeah, and it sounds like a real challenge in getting that information to the people beyond the patient. We know there's, in certain cancers, there are other risk factors, things like uh, smoking, dietary issues, alcohol. Do those factors interact in some fashion with BRCA implications as well? That's a very active area of research interest right now because we know, one, not everybody with mutation gets cancer. Some people get it very, very young. Some people get it very old. Some people get breast cancer. Some people get ovarian cancer. Most men with a BRCA mutation won't get male breast cancer, but 6% do. So we think there are other modifying factors that have to go along with the mutation to actually result in the cancer. We think some of these are other genes. So there may be other genetic modifiers. You need a BRCA1 plus something else. But we're also looking at some of the more standard epidemiologic risk factors. For example, to give you an example in breast cancer, in the average risk population, we know that there's a relationship between age at first full-term pregnancy and breast cancer. And women who have early pregnancies have a lower breast cancer risk. There's some protection afforded by the pregnancy. When we look at BRCA1 and 2 carriers, we aren't seeing that protection. So we're seeing a differential interaction with some of the more traditional risk factors. And we really need to do more research to solidify what is protective and what causes an increased risk and how can we reinterpret these epidemiologic risk factors in the context of these mutations. You know, as we're talking here, I'm I'm impressed by the complexity of the issue. And and I know you, you spoke earlier about nurses being trained and possibly helping expand our pool of expertise. Do you think there's a future in that? Can nurses successfully master the complexity of the business and successfully counsel people? I think so. As I mentioned, there are not enough fully trained genetic counselors who would be the ideal person to to handle all this complex information. We found nurses, and and of course in the context of a cancer center, we're dealing with oncology trained nurses. They have wonderful communication skills. They have a tremendous interest in patient education. They just need the genetic background piece to make them really good communicators of genetic risk. It takes effort. It takes programs. You can't do this overnight. You have to give them incremental bits of knowledge and information. But I think it, it certainly is possible to bring nurses to the point where they can be very active members of a the, of the counseling team. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, right. Well, Mary, tell us about the future of your team, your institution here at a major cancer center. What, what kind of research is in your future? Well, as I mentioned, one of our big thrusts right now is to study the modifiers of these genes. And we're working with, collaborating with other investigators all around the world, actually, to be able to collect enough BRCA1 and 2 families to be able to look for other genes and other risk factors. So that's that will hopefully someday translate back to the families to give them much more specific estimates. Because you have this mutation and this risk factor and this protective factor, your risk is really not 
40 to 80 percent, but it's 56 percent, something like that. Also, our research is moving in the direction of, well, how can we reduce the risk short of having to remove healthy organs? So we're working with some of our prevention basic researchers who are studying these cancers in animal models to come up with drugs or natural products, micronutrients that might reverse this malignant process in the setting of, of mutation. Well, it sounds like an exciting time to be in this area of research. I want to thank Dr. Mary Daly for being our guest today. We've been talking about BRCA gene mutations and implications for both men and women's health. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code radio and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.